Uh, temptation. It's, uh, it's a big part of our lives. It's a really big part of our lives. Before we jump into talking about that today, we're only about a month away from Easter. And Easter is the perfect time for you to be able to invite somebody who you've, you would love to have experience Skyline. Uh, it's impacted your life. You've uh, met people. You, you get to feel the warmth and the love when you come in each Sunday morning. And there's, there's people that you know that would love to be able to experience that. They just don't believe it's there. They, they've never seen it before. They don't, they don't believe it's there. And they're a little squeamish about church. Start inviting them today. And then invite them every week. For those of you who are ladies, make up little cards, do all those really cute things that you do to just keep putting them in front of you. Why? Because they're just like you. They're just like you. You need someone to encourage you to take a step you've never taken before. You need that to be able to happen. Don't let this Easter pass by without uh, taking advantage of that and loving on somebody, inviting them to come with you to Easter in, in a couple of weeks here. So we're in a series called The Power of Two, Three, and Four, and today we're talking about the power of, or the power over temptation. And uh, right off the bat, I want to be, be really clear about what we're talking about today. Today's step is actually a very simple step. It may have a lot of reasons why it works. There may be a lot of underlying principles at work in terms of how powerful this step is. But it's, it's very important to me that you don't get caught up on all of that and you realize, wait a minute, there is a simple step I can take in terms of temptation that really is helpful in my life. And so we're going to jump right into James and uh, begin taking a look at what uh, the Bible has to say in terms of temptation. Here's kind of the key verse when it comes to temptation. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Now, this is, this is pretty key to what we're going to talk about. Many times in our lives, we interact with God as though he is hung up on sin, as if he's hung up on temptation. It's very similar to the marshmallows thing, right? The person who opens the door and says, by the way, they had them wait 15 minutes 15 minutes. You can't even listen to me for 15 minutes. And uh, one-third of the children made it to, uh, they, they, they did a good job. They didn't eat that, uh, that marshmallow. They got the second, the second marshmallow. And we get the idea that God is the one who set this thing up so that temptation is really hard. And the reason that he's all, all up on temptation is because he's hung up on sin. The exact opposite is true. God is hung up on love and holiness. You cannot separate the two. You can't have love without holiness. You can't have holiness without love. He is hung up on you and what's best for you. He created you so he could have fellowship with you and you could experience incredible joy and connection and community with him. Sin destroys that. He didn't make that up. He didn't go, how can I make this as difficult as possible? And so the reason that we talk about this today is because of what you've already experienced in your life. When you fall to temptation, it eventually leads to death. 
He's like, oh, you mean like die and go to hell? Although that is true, that's part of it. Let's, let's back off on that a little bit. It'll be a little bit more lighter today, right? No, it means you spend more money than you make. That kind of death. It means that you are under stress and you argue with your spouse all the time because you spend more money than you make. And why do you spend more money than you make? You didn't know? No one ever told you not to spend more money than you make? No. Temptation after temptation after temptation after temptation. You can, abide, you can apply it to your relationships. You can apply it to your finances. You can apply it to any and every area of your life. It's the temptation and falling to the temptation that destroys your life. We, we say it all the time. If you simply could do what you already know is right, my goodness, what a life you'd have. And so as we talk about this, the reason why this is important is because the trouble that you have in your life, most of it is caused because you fall to temptation. Where does it start? It starts with your desires. Are the desires always the problem? Not always. Many times you actually have good desires. You have actual real needs. But as these desires entice us or drag us away, this is what I'm going to call the why, right? So every time you come to a point of temptation, you come to this point and you have a choice. It very much is like the cartoons. Here's the good one on this side. Here's the bad one on this side. They're both talking to you and you have a choice. Am I going to fall to the temptation or am I going to take, am I going to take the right direction, the wrong direction? Am I going to go the right way? Am I going to go the wrong way? These desires bring us to the why, and then they drag us away toward the wrong direction. Primarily because of our interpretation of the situation. Primarily because of our inter interpretation of the situation. Which is what? I'm going to use money today primarily because it's very concrete. It, it's, it's not that that's what the big deal with temptation is. You're going to have to apply it to your specific ones. But money's really concrete. It's really simple. That when you show up and you go, man, I, I want a coffee. And you walk in and you go, I want a coffee and a donut. And you pull out your pocket. And in your pocket you have 48 cents. You don't have enough money for that. So what do you do? You pull out the plastic because this has unending amount of money. You just fell to temptation. What am I going to do with the plastic? I'm going to spend more money than I have. That point right there is I looked at the situation. I looked at the facts. The facts were some desire. Is it wrong to be hungry or is it wrong to want a coffee? It is not. It's not. And so you, you get to that place, you walk in, and Dunkin' Donuts literally does sometimes, Starbucks literally does drag you in, okay? If you happen to be hooked on coffee, right, then you're dragged in to that. And now you interpret this, and you look at your situation, and you go, you know what? I shouldn't spend more money than I make, but I really want this. 
Okay, been, been fighting with my wife over that, but I really want this, okay? My interpretation of the situation is this. This one time will not hurt. I mean, come on, let's not, you church people are ridiculous. You mean just buying a coffee is gonna send me to hell? How many times does that thought run through your head? This one time is not going to, it wasn't always coffee, was it? Sometimes it's lust, and sometimes it's going too far physically in a relationship, and sometimes it can be really big things, but it's almost the exact same message, right? You interpret it, you take the facts, and you interpret that in this situation, it's going to be okay. Or, I can't help it. I, I can't help it. Or, I blew it three days ago. It doesn't matter if I blow it now. I've already blown it. They're the same messages. It's your interpretation of the situation, and who are you trusting? You trust you. That's who you trust. They drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. The temptation is not what destroys your life. The temptation is not what destroys your life. The desire is not what destroys your life. Desiring coffee and a donut does not destroy your life. Desiring the new car does not destroy your life. Desiring sexual intimacy does not destroy your life. It's when it gives birth. It's when you interpret it and you take that step, it gives birth, then that creates death. There's a, another passage in James that kind of explains it a little bit better, or kind of goes along with what we're saying. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill it, to kill to get it. You're like, oh, doesn't apply to me, I don't kill. Actually, you do, right? You really go after each other. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Why do you want the pleasure? Because when you interpret the facts, if you got pleasure at that moment, how many times have you said, only just this one time? That's it. I just need just this one time. If I can feel this pleasure at this moment, it will satisfy whatever those desires were. And of course, that's death. Why? Because it never does. It never does satisfy. You never fall to temptation and go, oh, this is awesome. That was like three months ago. I'm totally satisfied. Everything's great. Don't ever need that again. It doesn't ever happen, right? You're always hungry. You're always empty. All right, so what are some ways that we deal with temptation? All of the ways that I'm going to talk about are actually acceptable ways to deal with temptation. There, some of them are fantastic ways to deal with temptation, and you need to build these into your life. But 
I'm going to go after one specific one that's not on the list. One is to memorize scripture. Memorizing scripture is amazing because it gives you a different interpretation of the facts. That's what it does. Memorizing scripture allows you, your head to go off and say those crazy things you say, and then you say a verse and go, whoa, this uh, Bible says exactly opposite of what I just said. There's another interpretation to the facts. Wow, that, that, if I trust that one, that protects me. Helps me, with the, the, oftentimes stops the t- temptation or stops us from taking the action. Number two is to pray as Jesus taught. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When you bring Christ into the, into the, into the situation and you interact with him about the situation, he even tells us, man, even kind of a pre-thing, God, keep me out of these situations. Number three, uh, I love this one. Pay the time if you do the crime. Pay the time if you do the crime. In other words, make sure when you do fall to temptation, you don't get somebody else to pay for it. As long as somebody else will pay for the times that you have fallen to temptation, you'll just keep falling. Once you've had to pay for it a while, it can really help you to grow and deal with temptation. Number four, be prepared for the next temptation. What do you mean? (laughs) You know the next time you drive by Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks, you're going to want a coffee. You know that is coming. Be prepared for that to happen. That can be true for lots of them. Number five, avoid situations where you will be carried away. Avoid situations where you've seen yourself fall in those those times. Sometimes it's being hungry. Sometimes it's being tired. Sometimes it's, uh, there's just different ways it can interact with things. Number six, leave the moment you realize you're being enticed. As soon as you realize you're having this conversation, get out of there. As soon as you're trying to go, which one, which one should I go? Uh, get, get, get out of there. Okay, now to the one I'm after. This interpretation thing has a lot to do with darkness. It has a lot to do with not seeing things the way they really are. When you're in the dark, it's really hard to see things the way they really are. And so if you're trying to read something and it's dark and it looks fuzzy and you think it says one thing, but then you turn the light on, Oh, okay, I see it clearly now. I see it for what it is. Did you ever have that happen when you were a little kid? You're in bed, and you roll over, and over on the chair is a monster. It's a monster. And you're like, that's not a monster. Then what is it? It's a monster. That's what it is. And so you roll back over, It's still there. The monster is still there. Only now it seems to be moving, right? It's not moving a lot, but it seems to be moving. And so some big story just builds up in your head and you interpret the situation and you, mom, mom. She comes in, turns on the light. Ah, I left my jeans on the chair. I left my whatever on the chair, right? It's clear what it is now. But before it, it looked very different. The Bible gives us an overall principle that when you walk in the light, you can see things as they are. When you walk in the dark, you'll misread it every time. It's dangerous in the dark. 
Jesus said, yeah, actually in this passage was first he talked about treasures in heaven. What are you giving your life to? What are you pouring your life into? Which, by the way, has a huge impact on this why thing, right? If you're just a human being, if you're just the, the classic one, right? The classic one is, well, I'm not perfect. I think I've shared with you this before. You know what I'm not perfect means? The I'm not perfect means, yes, I did that wrong, but you should totally accept that I did that wrong, and I always do that wrong, and that should be okay. That's what it means. I'm not perfect. If you believe and live by that, you'll fall to temptation every time. If you, if, you, if you view life as though you're a victim, in your relationships, whether it's married relationships, brother-sister relationships, work relationships, if you think you're the victim, if you think they have ruined your life, you're going to fall to temptation every time. It's how you view it. And this he's talking about treasure do you view the world as though you live on this earth for X amount of time, but there is a life after? And the way that you live this life doesn't determine whether or not you get into heaven or not, but it does impact whether or not you live for treasure for the future or treasure for the moment. Then after this passage that we're going to talk about, then he talks about you can't love money and God at the same time. Who do, you, who do you actually love? And this is what he says. He says, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. When you let light into your body, when you see the world as it really is, when you see the spiritual world as it really is, it impacts all of you. It impacts the way you make these decisions. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. Why? Because you can't let the light in. You can't see the world for the way it is. Then he says this one. This is one I think, this is one you might want to memorize. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness... How deep that darkness is. What does that mean? If the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. What, 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 what does that mean? These are the conversations you had with your parents at one time. Whereby they were explaining to you that it's important that you do your algebra homework. It's important you do your algebra homework, one, for your character. You need to do your work. Yes, this is hard, but you need to do your work. It's going to impact you later on in life. And you're like, I'll never use algebra, waste of time, not going to do it. You need to do your algebra homework because actually learning algebra does something to your brain. It allows your brain to think in ways it hasn't thought before. Not only that, for some of you, it opens up ways of understanding math you never knew before. But you see, you thought you knew more than your parents. You thought that you had light already. You know why? Because all of your friends agreed with you. Because every friend you had said algebra was dumb, other than the nerds. They're still our friends, but they're nerds. 
How many times have you, in a relationship, argued? A friend has come along and said to you, hey, but the way you treat your wife, man, not cool. But you explained to them why it was cool and why it was okay and why you weren't going to listen to them. And you were just filled with self-righteousness. You were filled with pride because you won the argument. You put that person in their place. You know what that is? That's when you, the light you think you have is actually darkness. When we go through our lives and we think we know, we don't need somebody else involved in our lives. We don't need that other light in our lives. <laughs> You're in big trouble. You're in huge trouble. Who can help you? If the light you think you have. I don't say this as a condemnation in any way, shape, or form. I practice this in areas of my life just like you do. But it is amazing the number of people that I will lay out for them. Okay, here's your problem. Here's your situation. Here's what God says. Here's the two steps I need you to take this week. Well, I can't do that. What do you mean you can't do that? Well, I can't do that because I have this, 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 and this. In other words, my interpretation of my life keeps me, actually makes it impossible that I could possibly do what God tells me to do. That's a light you think you have. You trust it. It's darkness. In 1 John, he says this. But, we all, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Now, walking in the light does not mean you never sin. Otherwise, it would be impossible to do. Walking in the light means that I am going to let the light of Christ, I'm going to, even though I know he already sees it, like, don't raise your hands, but I think everybody in here would go, I know that God can see everything I do. It's who God is. He's all seen, right? He's omniscient. He's everywhere. But we have an amazing ability to interact as if he cannot see me. I have the ability to sit on my couch, couch, in my office, in my car, and talk to myself about God as if he cannot hear me. I make decisions, and I literally put this God guard up, right? This, this shield, whereby I'm going to make a decision saying I believe in God, and the decision I know is 100% against what God says. I bet all of you have God shields too. You pretend like he's not there. To walk in the light is to take the shield down and go, God, this is who I am. This is what I've done. Here's what my desires are. When I face this situation, this is what I feel and think and did. And God, not only that, this is what I want to do. It's to walk in the light. It's to let God in. Could God force his way in? He could. He doesn't. 
To walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Something happens. When we walk in the light, we get to share life with each other. Matter of fact, we can actually do that on purpose. We can on purpose choose a few people in our lives whereby we're going to share with them who we are and what we think and what our experience is like at this point right here in our lives. What temptation is like for us. Now, last week I introduced this idea. Like wise people, they gain in wisdom because they ask for advice before they do it, right? They ask for advice before they take the step. That's called walking in the light. When you ask for advice after you've taken the step, that's called walking in the darkness. Why? Because I'm going to interpret my situation first. Make a decision, act on that decision, and then ask for light. It's too late. To walk in the light is to walk in the light before I do it. Another passage says, it's in Hebrews, says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he, promised, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now, usually when we interact with this passage, we interact with the fact we should get together and we should encourage each other. I should be encouraging someone else. Today, I want you to put it on reverse. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let's consider how I can put myself in a position where other people can spur me on toward love and good deeds. How do I put myself into a position? How do I have a relationship with other people where I'm walking in the light? Where I'm not just trusting my own interpretation, but I'm getting God's interpretation from somebody else. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but in encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, all of this was said to say this one simple thing. I have discovered in my life and in your life that there are temptations that we can apply those other things to. As a matter of fact, uh, a, a few uh, months ago, I did a... I did a a uh, message on the blue prescription card. And if you didn't, if you didn't hear that message, please go, go find it and listen to it. It's really powerful how we can build our lives on grace and how we interact with temptation and the power that it has. It's, it's incredible. But there's even times when I know the blue prescription card can do what it needs to do, but I still really struggle with particular temptations because there is no one all-end-all way to deal with temptation. This is one of them. It's a powerful one. If I will take my temptation as soon as, or any, any time between as soon as the temptation starts, right up to before I, it gives birth and I take action, if I will take that or take me and take my secret to a group of guys, the two, three, four guys, temptation's done. It's done. What do you mean? I mean, sometimes, I, I practiced this specifically. Uh, this was 
this is years ago. I like to use the one years ago because I don't necessarily want you to know everything that's happening right now. Right? That's, that's, that's all part of the secrets. Right? So years ago, um, when we used to meet the Boys and Girls Club, I would get done with the message at the end of the day, and we would pack up. It used to take us about an hour and a half to pack up. We'd pack up. I would get in my truck. By the time I got in my truck, I was driving home. There was a voice in my head that said, Chris, you're an idiot. You should quit. That is the worst message that's ever been given in, on the face of the earth. You need to quit. All of these people keep showing up, spending all of their time setting up. Then they actually listen to you. All that's going, going on. Then we tear down, and... They need a better pastor. You've got to quit. And the temptation was to listen to that voice. I got in the habit that I got my my car, my truck, and by the time I got down to the first block, I would start calling people and saying, listen, this is what I feel right now. Now, none of them, they weren't allowed to actually, but none of them would have anyway said, oh, yeah, Chris, uh, you're the greatest thing on earth. Don't worry about it, right? Why? Because that's not what I need to hear. They would say, hey, wait, wait, Chris, this is what the Bible says. Hey, Chris, this is what the Bible says. And in a very short amount of time, the temptation is gone. The power of bringing your temptation into the light. And the way we do that is not just by bringing it to God, but by bringing it to each other. So some really simple things. No secrets. No secrets. I will be known. I will be known. What do you mean? I mean, I'm going to tell you who, what, when, where, why. And I will be known in real time. What does that mean? I'm not going to just tell you about the temptation beforehand. Uh, guys, hey guys, just pray with me. I'm really struggling with this piece right now, right? It's something that hits me during it. That's in the future. Hey guys, pray for me, I just lusted, I just checked this out on the internet, I just did, right? That's pastime. No, I will be known in real time is when the temptation hits, I get to share it right then. Now, you have something that no other human beings have had in all of history. You can practice this in a way that no one can, has been able to do in all of history. You have this little phone, and on that phone, you actually can have a list of guys that you can text 24-7. Now, this isn't particularly healthy, but there's at least one guy who will text you back almost instantly. You have amazing access to community if you'll share it. What am I going to do? I'm going to practice sharing the who, the what. The when, the where, the how. On top of that, I'm going to practice sharing the emptiness or desire this feeds. What do you mean? Why do I need to spend more money than I make? Because it makes me feel like this. And I want that. Almost always, not always, but almost always, you track those desires back far enough, it actually is usually a good desire that's not being met in a healthy way. And so therefore, you practice, or you share, the empties or desires this, uh, that this feeds, satisfies for the moment, or the itch it scratches, right? 
The issue isn't, oh, no, I'm struggling with this sin. I did it. Oh, no, I did it. I did it. No, the issue is, what's going on here? Why do you interpret the world that smoking pot, that drinking too much is going to give you what you want? When, in fact, it never does. Why is that? Then, extra credit, you walk out with a plan to replace it with something real. You walk out with a plan to replace it with something real. What do you mean? Well, the reason I spend too much is because I want this. So how about you figure out how to get that God's way instead of the wrong way? How about you let somebody help you reinterpret what's going on in your life? Temptations cause two things. One, for some of you, they're destroying your life. You can't get ahead. They're destroying your life. For others of you, they're not destroying your life anymore. You got a pretty good life. You're doing okay. It is nothing compared to what it could be. It is nothing compared to what it could be. So, I encourage you. Or I ask you, what group of people do you have in your life that you are bringing things into the light before the temptation? You're bringing them into the light when the temptation happens. You're bringing them into the light before you take the step that leads to death. And you're honest as can be after you've taken the step that led to death. Who are those people in your life? If you don't have them, then you have one of the greatest powers on earth available to you, and you're just not taking advantage of it. How about you come up with a plan to turn that around? Lord Jesus, thank you. This is super simple. It is super simple. It's, it's so simple, it just seems like, nah, that can't really work. I don't have time. I can't. Wait a minute. I'm going to bring this to you, God. What do you say? You say, never trust the light. of unhealthy eyes. Never trust your own interpretation of what it takes to satisfy the real desires, the needs in our lives. For us to get that from you, and we do that oftentimes by bringing it to a group of people we can trust. Lord, I pray for each person in our church that, that this would be kind of a little bud that would start in their, in their hearts and, and really grow. I pray that they would begin to test it and, and, and find out. Like, just test it. And see if it's not true. When you bring that temptation into the light, when you bring it before a group of people who will then use the word of God, how powerful that is. Lord, thank you that you haven't left us alone. Thank you that temptation is not the issue. The issue is life. And you have come to give us incredible life. In your name we pray.